Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to another episode of Chillin' in the State House. It's tough to stay chill out there, but we are trying. I am Andrew Ball, one half of the Topeka Capital Journal's State House team. I'm joined as always by my comrade, Jason Alatid. Jason, how are you, sir? Enjoying the iced coffee today. Yeah, you've been bringing in hot coffee, and that's that's quite a move, yeah, given the temperatures would, outside. My, my uh, stepmom got my wife and I a new coffee maker for uh, our wedding, and I've been using the new coffee maker more, uh, just uh, haven't yet figured out how to use the iced coffee setting. Someday I will uh, actually pick up the manual and figure it out. <laughs> the hardest thing to do. Yeah, but Starbucks is doing good enough for now. And we're joined by the very relaxed, yes. on vacation, but he's breaking his vacation to join us. John oh, this Hanna. is always a vacation. This is fun. John Hanna, the Associated Press. John, how are you, sir? I'm chilled, despite how hot it is outside. It is. Uh, we're recording this in the morning, so it's not. It's not yet 120 in the shade. It was so hot at home that you had to come into the state house where it was chill. Yeah, basically. It is 90. Feels like 99. <laughs> so. Oh. Oh. Okay. So a cool, cool wave has come in here. Uh, cooling off period. No, actually, isn't it supposed to get up to like 110 or something? Yeah, I think today and tomorrow. We're recording this on Thursday. Uh, so Thursday and Friday will be the worst of it, and then it will break mercifully. <laughs> yeah. I need it to break so I can mow the lawn. I uh, I talked to somebody this morning who said, you know, it's it's pretty sad when you're talking about how glad you are that the temperature's only 95 degrees. <laughs> oh. Yeah, that bodes poorly. Speaking of hot, Andrew. Yes. The... Uh, Words I never thought I would say, but the situation in Marion County, Kansas, is scorching hot yes. over the last 10 days, hasn't it? Yes, it indeed it has. Well, if you're listening to this, and if you have a pulse, you probably have heard about the police raid of the Marion County record. The, yes, in the downtown, newspaper. Uh, off of downtown Main Street in Marion. Uh, and John, you've been down to Marion. You've been covering the story a little more than we have just because everyone's been covering it. So we, we've kind of just, just chimed be, in when we yes, felt just, it was yes, valuable, uh, but, 
but you've been following this pretty closely since day one. Talk us through why every national outlet suddenly is very familiar with Marion, Kansas. <laughs> well, the, the reason for that uh, is that the police chief led a raid with pretty much the entire police department in Marion, Kansas, which is, as you might guess, not a large police force. It's a town of about 1,900. Uh, it's about 150 miles southwest of Kansas City, or as we like to say in the AP, 241 kilometers also. Uh, for, all, a, for all the, the Brits listening yes, to Yes, indeed. And, um, and it's, you know, it's this kind of uh, uh, quiet-looking town, I say quiet-looking deliberately, set in the rolling hills in uh, what, I, what used to be back in the day two centuries ago, uh, a sea of prairie grass that was so tall that it, if you were riding through it on a horse, your hor- horse might not be visible. So I didn't know we were starting the story 200 years in the past. It's, well, it so feels just remembers those days. Yes. Well, yes. Um, but it feels like having been down there to do some reporting. It feels like that some of the uh, tentacles of this story may reach back nearly that far. There's a lot more under the surface here. But we'll we'll go we'll go with the tip of the iceberg. What happened was local police raided the offices of the Marion County Record, seizing computer equipment, uh, personal reporter, uh, staffer cell phones, uh, the the newspaper's main server, an external hard drive. Uh, I may be forgetting something. They also raided the home of the publisher, the home that he shared with his 98-year-old mother, Joanne, who is Joanne Meyer. His name is Eric Meyer. Um, she is the she was the paper's co-owner. Um, sadly, she died the day after the raid uh, of an apparent heart attack. The publisher blames the stress of the raid for that. They also raided the home of a city council member, the the town's vice mayor, a woman named Ruth Herbel, and. Um, and took a laptop and an iPhone from her. Now, what, I mean, this is, of course, very, un, very, very unusual for law enforcement to, they went to court, they got a magistrate judge to sign off on search warrants using affidavits, and they staged the raid and seized the equipment. That's very unusual. I mean, there are in, lots of instances where, where law enforcement wants to know who a source of some information is and or get access to unpublished material. Uh, what's more typical is they issue subpoenas in the newspaper and law enforcement fight it out in court before a judge. But at any rate, the, the raid happened, um, and that just threw a spotlight on the town. Well, we should be... And caused a lot of outrage, frankly. Before we go any further, we should, in the interest of full disclosure, note that one of our own, Jason Ellitid, actually worked for the Marion County Record. Yeah, a back few when I was still ago. Jason Tid. Uh, <laughs> I, I spent about four months in Marion, my first full time job out of college. So, just we want to, we, we all are about just being transparent. Yeah. Then. And, and I have plenty of thoughts on my time there, but I am not going to share them here because. This is an unbiased chilling in the state house. So, so, uh, so yes. John, why this action that really is? I don't. I 
am hard pressed to think it has, of it's it has been described happened. it has been described by press freedom groups as extreme unprecedented an egregious violation of the first amendment and we'll get to the defense of the raid but um, the the stated reason for the raid if you read the affidavits and they have now been released full unredacted copies by the newspaper's attorney on uh, August the 20th a Sunday and then the next day the court uh, the district court chief judge uh, released redacted copies the difference is basically identification of names and addresses and personal email addresses that sort of thing but the stated reason is uh, it stems from a dispute with a local restaurant owner um, on August the 1st uh, a local restaurant owner named Carrie Newell uh, she has two restaurants in town a, a coffee shop and basically a fancier restaurant in a historic hotel sort of at the center of Marion uh, Congressman Jake LaTurner, a Republican who represents that area, that's part of his district, scheduled a forum in the fancier restaurant uh, and invited uh, the publisher, Eric Meyer, and a reporter. It turned out to be Phyllis Zorn. They get to the venue and Carrie Newell throws them out. She says at the request of prominent people in town initially, uh, the police chief later says, I think, that she asked him to throw them out. They're thrown out. The congressman says he didn't know anything about this until afterwards. He will go over to the newspaper to talk to them. Uh, at any rate, the next day, they get a Facebook message uh, saying, essentially, you should know this about Carrie Newell. Uh, there are some indications that the ultimate source they believe of the information might have been she's going through a divorce. It might have been her ex-husband through somebody else. At any rate, they get this document. It's a letter from the Department of Revenue to Carrie Newell, uh, essentially saying, you don't have a valid driver's license. Here's how you reinstate it. On that document is her birth date and her driver's license number. Okay. So, um, she will eventually, uh, on August the 7th, six days later, go in front of the city council and acknowledge that somewhere in her past, about 15 years ago, she had a DUI. And that's why she, uh, according to this letter, didn't have a valid driver's license. But as of August the 2nd, the newspaper is pondering what to do with this piece of information. They want to check and see that the document that they've gotten is authentic, so they access the Department of Revenue's driver's license database. To get into that, to check on the status of somebody's license, you need both their date of birth and their driver's license number. Now, the Department of Revenue told me that it is legal if you have independently obtained that information somewhere else to access that database. It is a public-facing database. People access it for routinely for any number of reasons to check the status of a license and get other information. For example, if you're a debt collector or if you're an insurer, something, something like that, or if you want to check on the status of your own license. Um, 
so at any rate, they get into that database. They confirm that the document is actually a state document. It's not made up. And this is where the dispute begins. The newspaper folks say they did not. You can see a list of documents associated with this driving record. You can pay $16.70 and buy a copy of the driver's record. You still have to have the driver's license and the date of birth of the person you want. Um, at any rate, the newspaper says it neither bought the driving record nor downloaded anything. But they did access the database, and uh, Carrie Newell, at this August the 7th, uh, as of August the 4th, they told the police that they had this document. And they said, if you are concerned, interested, anything, contact us and we'll talk about it. August the 7th, three days later, Carrie Newell gets in front, up in front of the city council and says, these folks have invaded my privacy and illegally accessed my personal information. The city councilwoman also got a copy of this document. She sent a copy to the city manager, FYI. What's important to know here is that at this point in time, Carrie Newell is seeking a liquor license on her own behalf for her restaurant in the historic hotel. The council does approve that liquor license, voting four to one for it. Uh, Council member Herbal, the person whose home was raided, votes no. That's August the 7th. Four days later, the police chief files three affidavits to search the newspaper's offices, the home of the publisher, and the home of the city councilwoman. Uh, He gets search warrants. Uh, After filing these affidavits, a district magistrate judge, a magistrate judge is lower than on the totem pole than a district court judge generally handles misdemeanors and kind of routine criminal matters, preliminary stuff signs. And if they sign off, they can sign off on a warrant and that warrant will be good within the judicial district. So the 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 warrants are authorized. The police do the raid. And that is the stated reason. However, while the police are taking equipment and whatnot from the newspaper, uh, surveillance, a security camera that looks out over the newsroom, shows the police reading a reporter, her Miranda rights. The reporter is not Phyllis Zorn. It's Deb Groover. They also take Deb Groover's tower, uh, hard drive tower, and her personal cell phone, as a matter of fact, the police chief is said to have snatched it out of her hand in such a way that it injures her finger. Anyway, the key thing is Deb Groover is the reporter who is in looking into the background of the police chief. And why would she be doing that? Well, she would be doing that. He becomes police chief... He was sworn in on May 30th. He retires as a Kansas City, Missouri police officer on uh, April the 22nd. His interview with the city is two days before that. He's offered the job within a week by the mayor. There are, the newspaper is getting a lot of calls from Kansas City, former colleagues in the police department raising questions about his tenure there. And I believe the Kansas City Star, the Kansas City the raid published, filling in some of the details. Yes, and I think the record ultimately did publish some of the information. Right, they the got. the Kansas City Star said that according to anonymous sources within the police department, they did not name the sources. 
that uh, the police chief, the report was that he was going to be demoted. There was an issue with a subordinate, an allegation of, I believe, sexual harassment. And that was what, according to the star, that was what was going on. Um, The police chief knew that the newspaper was looking into this. It did not publish initially before the raid. It has since published a story. The, the publisher said he went to the police chief just days before his swearing in and said something on the order of, we're getting these reports that you left Kansas City because you were about to be demoted. And according to the publisher, the police chief is not responded to questions about this but according to the publisher the police chief said if you print that i will sue you so there is some knowledge on the part of the police chief that the newspaper was looking into his background and that that is nowhere i want to stress that that is nowhere in any of the affidavits that were used to get the search warrants but of course the newspaper and its attorneys and other folks in town believe that is a factor the motive that the, there is some suggestion, some allegation that that may be the true motive. Again, the police chief has never said that, and it is nowhere in the affidavit. But well, and and it took uh, I would say hours after the raid was first reported by the nonprofit uh, news outlet, the Kansas Reflector, on that Friday for this to go national. Press freedom groups weighed in. I believe the parent company of the three of our uh, yes. news outlets uh, all weighed in. Uh, yes, expressing support for the record. Um, politicians. I mean, really, uh, they, the White they, House. The White House weighed in. The White House issued I a believe statement. Their subscriptions doubled. Well, <laughs> actually, the, uh, tripled. Now, tripled. Uh, 4,000. No, no, you're right. Doubled because they had a press run of 4,000 and they added as of at least 4,100. It's still probably climbing a little bit. So you're right. It did double. My math was bad. That's a lot of mail labels. Well, many of the the papers by hand. Yeah. um, Initially, the subscriptions were mostly digital. And, you know, Eric Meyer said he doubts that these folks are really going to want to read the record for a full year or six months or however long the subscription is. He thinks it's just a show of support. Um, but, yes, they did get a lot. I mean, there were there's a, there was a flower a display of flowers and with the with Joanne Meyer's uh, photo out front. Uh, now the 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 Wednesday the following edition following the raid had uh, a huge headline seized in all caps. It was about two inches tall. Tall. It's you know what we would call uh, moon landing type, and then under it in pretty large type was but not silenced. So that became sort of a collector's item pretty quickly. Um, Well, and what happened in the wake of the raid, so the Kansas Bureau of Investigation has now taken over the criminal investigation of possible wrongdoing, uh, but that investigation will not include the items seized by the Marion Police Department. I believe it was the Wednesday after the raid, those items were returned. The county attorney said there was insufficient evidence to support... Well, well, let's be uh, careful. They were were 
sent to, they were put in the custody of a computer forensics audit firm. Well, but that wasn't, they didn't have to do that. Right. But it was hired by the newspaper and all of the equipment is back with the newspaper. However, it turns out there is a thumb drive with material copied from at least one computer that has is not in the custody of the newspaper, and the uh, newspaper its attorney has sent the city uh, a letter saying essentially we want you to turn that over or erase it in our presence. Um, and by the time you're listening to this podcast, there uh, might be a resolution be, to that. Yeah, there might tale. be a resolution to that. Um, the The issue is is that apparently the police started to copy material on a hard drive. The publisher says they picked a slow port, and you can see them on the security camera videos, you know, talking about how long it's taking, and that's when they just seize the equipment, you know. Um, but but the upshot here is that that in the opinion of the county attorney and the Kansas Bureau of Investigation, the material should have been returned and and and, well, and the county. I mean, the county attorney was pretty. I mean, well, this was then, approved by a judge, but the county attorney's comments were a bit of a refuting the. Well, the, the, poli- the, the police raid. chief said there is a federal law that is designed to protect privacy. And in this case, it contemplates situations that if you want material from uh, a news organization, uh, you go issue a subpoena and then there's a discussion of whether that subpoena should be honored. Similarly, there's a journalist shield law in Kansas enacted in 2010 that essentially says Uh, Law enforcement can ask for subpoenas, but there has to be a determination that the material is, uh, the receipt of the material is compelling, there's a compelling interest in getting it, and there is no other way to get it. Uh, Both of those scenarios, both of those laws contemplate law enforcement seeking a subpoena. They do not contemplate law enforcement getting a warrant and just going and seizing stuff. So what the police did here bypassed both of those processes. And I talked to Stephen McAllister, who is a former U.S. attorney uh, in the Trump administration here in Kansas, also a a University of Kansas law professor. He believes that there are criminal civil rights violations here, possibly he acknowledges it is a very high bar to to show that somebody criminally violated somebody's civil rights. He believes it could possibly be met here, and his comment was essentially that if he were still U.S. attorney, he would be having the FBI look into it. Well, and and the newspaper's attorney has uh, already signaled that there will likely be a lawsuit. It, it will uh, probably take months because he's doing an investigation. You know, there's still there are still questions about who the chief, whether the chief informed anybody else that he was going to do it before he did it. There, you know, that one of the affidavits has an email in it um, where the city administrator says essentially. Uh, we've gotten this document from the city council. The PD is not going to be looking into it. It's not clear exactly what he meant by that. Um, but so the question is, you know, 
what kind of backing the the police chief had from the mayor, the city administrators, others on the city council, um, and you know what what was going on internally at city city hall before this raid. So, well, I want to bring in Jason here because this has even gotten the attention of legislators in Topeka. Uh, not necessarily pertaining to the police chief, but more the role of the judicial system in all this, right? Right. And so House Minority Leader Vic Miller, a Democrat from Topeka, and Representative Jason Probst, a Democrat from Hutchinson, uh, they came out with a proposal related to magistrate judges. Uh, If you know much about magistrate judges, the one kind of surprising thing when you learn about it is that they are not required to have law degrees. Although this one did. Mm-hmm. Right. And so if there were to be any reform related to magistrate judges, that is the area that I mean, that I would have guessed would have been the target of legislation. But clearly that piece wouldn't have made any change to this situation. Uh, instead, what the proposal is, is to take away search warrant power for magistrate judges. As John mentioned earlier, magistrate judges have search warrant authority, can sign off on search warrants covering their judicial districts, uh, which range from one county to several counties, depending on where you are in the state. Uh, And instead, law enforcement could only get a search warrant from a district judge and district judges already have a little bit higher authority because their search yeah. warrants can be used anywhere in the state. And uh, we don't know if this would affect the work of law enforcement, if it would do much to slow down what police and sheriffs have to do statewide. I mean, Andrew, there was one district you looked at that has two total district judges covering like five counties but it has six magistrate judges yeah in rural areas it seemingly is is common for magistrate judges to be leaned on uh to fill in the gaps in what is a fairly understaffed under-resourced well and and uh representative miller and representative probst acknowledged that they're not sure that this is the real solution but they want to get the conversation started and they want to keep it going through uh, the 2024 legislative session. They don't want this issue to die. I mean, presuming that there is a lawsuit and that the newspaper prevails in its lawsuit, you would wonder, do we need anything more than the U.S. Constitution? Well, you, you would. The other issue is even can you – I mean, I mean, you can – can you write a law to prevent this? Um, when there are bad, we don't. We don't. I want to assume, but if there are bad actors out there, well, seemingly, or even, you, even you know, they're going to do their thing. Let's, let's take that the the issue of uh, somebody being a supposed bad actor out of it. Let's take the police chief at his word that he believed he had probable cause, which is what he said on Facebook. It's very unusual to ask for a search warrant. And if you're, you know, you're applying, you're inclined to go straight for the search warrant as the law enforcement officer, I'm not sure if you, if you can find a judge of whatever stripe to sign off on it, the law is not going to stop that. 
Um, there are other issues attendant to this that have cropped up. You know, the issue is, okay, so if you determine that this was improper, ultimately, what is the sanction for the person who did it? Right now, realistically, unless the city acts to discipline the chief, if it feels this was improper, and again, there's not any indication yet that it does, what, you know, this, it, it, outside of that disciplinary action, what happens to the police, the law enforcement official who did this, you know, kind of roiling under the surface here is an, an ongoing dispute about the newspaper's coverage and how transparent the city government is in Marion. And, you know, that raises questions, and, and Representative Miller made this point, that if, if a local government or a state agency violates the Open Meetings or Open Records Act, um, generally, um, absent a lawsuit requiring them to pay somebody's attorney's fees, there's literally no penalty. They get a slap on the wrist. They're told not to do it again. In theory, they've learned their lesson and everybody moves on until they go back, frankly, to doing exactly the same thing they were doing. Well, a comment you made, and I, I think maybe it's... I mean, Kansas's Open Records and Open Meetings Act are a positive, but they are incredibly weak, incredibly weak for holding public officials account for not following the laws. The, 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 the public officials and agencies in this state routinely violate the spirit of the law. Or the, the letter of the law. Or the letter of the law. You, you routinely um, wait weeks and sometimes months to get documents. Um, the, you know, they routinely go into closed sessions when they probably don't have to. Uh, we had a long discussion about the State Finance Council, for example. Um, well, in a comment you made, John, I want to go back to, though, because I think it's important context for people, is the dynamic between the newspaper and public officials in the town, because... It is quite contentious. Yeah, this, this type of... Well, this is certainly in extreme situation. It seems to be following in a long line of attempts by the newspaper to challenge... Uh, and and put under scrutiny some of the actions, particularly personnel actions of of the city. Right. Well, and and you know this is where it's this is where you start to go. Wow, that's really interesting. I mean, you know there um, there was an issue last year where a majority of the city council, Councilwoman Herbal was a dissenter, wanted to charter out, as they say, pass a charter ordinance to say that they didn't have to bring bond issues to voters unless, you know, voters actively protested. Well, that that went down in flames at the polls, and there was an attempt by the mayor and others to recall uh, Councilwoman Herbal. So that conflict is out there. There are you know, the there are questions about the the you know the current city manager uh, has been there only for months. The previous one uh, uh, essentially was fired over an issue uh, that you know showing another city employee a uh, photo of a, a, a how would we put this for our family podcast? A woman in the state of undress 
and uh, that was deemed inappropriate. The woman just happened to own a day spa that had a dispute over its sign on Main Street. So that it's it was the most in, it's the most interesting sign dispute I've ever read about. I guess. Um, anyway, the the point is, there's all this stuff roiling under the surface, and and it makes having spent some time in Marion, it makes Marion a lot more interesting place, let me tell you. Well, it, and there's the context of, I mean, this stems from a DUI and liquor liquor license situation. In Marion County, alcohol is a big point of contention, particularly in Hillsborough. I once covered a mayoral debate, and part of the sticking point was should we allow alcohol to be sold at the hotel in town? Because we're told that people don't stop at the hotel and instead drive to McPherson where they can actually drink alcohol. Well, and, and that's there. W- w- what is it? That's the local heritage. There's a very strong pre- Mennonite presence in the area. Yes. And, 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 and even more so in Gossel nearby. Right. And, and, uh, I'm trying I think to remember a Mennonite museum there. Yes. And a one former reporter, uh, wrote a story about his time in at the record in the aughts, I guess, and and Bill Meyer, who was the editor and publisher of the paper for years, um, uh, the, a new business was opening in Marion, and Meyer told this young reporter, uh, you know, ask if he's going to serve beer, and you know he's the pleasantries are done, the details of the opening are going, and he says, oh, by the way, are you going to serve beer? There's a pause, and the restaurant owner goes, so what kind of reporter are you? This is the reporter's telling. Um, not very happy. So uh, that is interesting. And, and that journalist was uh, Joel Mathis? Yes, Joel Mathis, yes. I yeah. was searching for, my brain was searching for the name. So, yeah, that that is an interesting, um, an interesting uh, sidelight to all of this. Yeah, and I... I don't know all the players currently involved in the story, uh, but when I was there, the newspaper did take a more adversarial role, especially compared to the Hillsboro Free Press in the coverage of. Well, and, and that's always, you know, that's always the conundrum for uh, a local newspaper. How much, you know, there there are lots of examples of, of small town newspapers across the U.S. where, for example, the publisher is very involved uh, in community and uh, organization serves sometimes as the chairman of the local chamber, uh, views the newspaper as uh, as boosting the town, um, and is often part of the establishment. And you know, my imp- I you know the impression I have is is that Eric Meyer is very much not part of the establishment. But I believe his father was. Yeah. Well, and also that, news- but his father still was about aggressive coverage too, yeah. right? And I I never met him, uh, but his father is in the Kansas Press Association Hall of Fame, and I do wonder if Joanne, who signed my paychecks while I was there, uh, if Joanne will be joining the Hall of Fame next year. Um, I'm I'm going to look. the The Hall of Fame is going to have a big and inclusive. Uh, new group of inductees this year. There's been an effort by the Press Association to make sure that 
women journalists and journalists of color are more properly recognized and wives of publishers and wives of publishers so i'll look and see see who the class is in but if she is not in or going into the hall of fame i would i would bet that she she will get in pretty quickly a really interesting story one that i mean just for a while there, it seemed like would change by the hour. Oh yeah, uh, you know the the dynamic, and I mean uh, the KBI investigation. KBI director Tony Mativi told us the other day there's no timeline for this to be done. So, yeah, and the KBI investigation is focused seemingly just on did the reporter mm-hmm. commit a crime, not on the raid itself. Um, because local law enforcement has to invite the KBI in, and perhaps unsurprisingly, they were not uh, eager to have the, the details of the raid probed. Well, and and you know, frankly, uh, I think a civil lawsuit is going to do that. And if right. and federal officials, the FBI, the 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 local U.S. attorney, are not saying anything about whether they're looking into this, so we don't know that they will. But if they do, then they will will do an examination. Um, and in addition to that. The uh, insurer for the city has uh, a, hired a law firm and designated an attorney to examine what yeah. happened. Surely they are not thrilled by this development. And uh, well, I, the possible we want to be careful here because we don't want to assume that there's going to that any lawsuit is going to result in a huge payout. I mean, you know, you get in front of a jury and who knows? But this is presumably not what the insurance company no, I'm, for. Yeah, and when you. If it could potentially take the form of a wrongful death action, well, because of Joanne Meyer's death, that then that could potentially lead to a higher payout. Yeah, well, we we just don't know. That's a that's a, we know that that's going to be a big wild card. We can be pretty sure that a lawsuit will be filed. Um, we don't know what form it will take yet. And Marion City taxpayers, uh, I'm sure, will be closely watching the developments. Yeah. Well, for the latest in all these developments in Marion and across the state, uh, as always, you can head on over to cjonline.com, uh, where sometimes we've been running uh, our friend John Hanna's work as well. And I appreciate that, by and, the way. And while we haven't covered Marion as extensively as some other news outlets, in, including John, uh, Andrew and I have written about several other topics and the occasional Marion update. Uh, so there's plenty of read, plenty to read at cjonline.com. You can find us on Twitter as well, at cjonline. Like us on Facebook, or X, I guess. Is, is it formally X, or is that the nickname? I think it's actually X. Which... Okay, so they're not tweets anymore, they're posts? Yes, they are posts, and instead of retweets, it's reposts. Okay, so um, I'm assuming sooner or later I'll have to po- uh, type in www w.x.com i think twitter still redirects though yeah twitter still redirects but jason where are you on x i am at jason underscore alatid and i am at andrew ball b-a-h-l and uh, john where can people find all of your work i'm at apjd hannah on on the aforementioned x my stuff is www.apnews.com you just type in kansas in the search bar although frankly this story is uh, the story of Marion has been on the front page, the, the 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 home page for a while. And you can also find John's stories on Marion and many news outlets around the world. Yes. 
And if you want to listen to back episodes of Chillin' in the State House. And of course you do. And of course you do, because what else to do when you are in your air conditioned home <laughs> but uh, listen to us? Indeed. Chillin' in the State House as you're trying to stay chill. Exactly. We lower the temperature. Just our our the presence of our of our voices. Yes. You can find those chill, chill voices at Spotify. Oh, oh wait, wait. Uh, let me get this in. Obligatory Disney reference. There. We got it in. It, it, also, the, we're uh, award-winning. <laughs> I mentioned that we're award-winning. The, the, the new Ahsoka show is out on Disney+. Plus. I have not yet watched it. Okay. Well, I, that's, that's I've good. been saving it for the weekend. Okay. With, well, with, with the Kansas heat, I haven't wanted to. Uh, like by, by the time I'm home at night, I haven't wanted to uh, invest mental capacity yeah, there's, in There is it. a reason in the old days that... Uh, before ubiquitous air conditioning that everything slowed down during the summer because of the heat. You know, during the Dust Bowl era, I think they sometimes out west recorded temperatures of 130 degrees or greater. I like to think that the thermometers were just too crude. I just, I can't imagine 135 degrees. Well, pretty soon you won't have to imagine, John. I know. I know. Uh, yes. Anyway, our back episodes of our podcast. Yes, to are, get back on track here. Are on Spotify. Back on track. Can't go back. Yes, let's let's get back on track here. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, anywhere fine podcasts are found. Jason, Andrew, John, Jason, Andrew, John, Andrew. Are we? We just. We, we did the we yeah did we did all. the circle and we got to be careful not to get stuck in a loop you know if you if you uh, actors if they do uh, any old vaudeville bits uh, particularly who's on first the great baseball bit you can lose they're so rapid fire and complicated you can loop around for an extra two minutes because you keep repeating the same lines over and over we were in danger of doing that. <laughs> And I do remember when there was actual vaudeville. <laughs> We're not quite as good on the vaudeville front, but we will see you all next time for more Kansas government, Disney, etc. analysis. And true crime. And true crime. Yes. And eventually we'll get to the, you know, the state fair is going to open That's here true. soon in a couple of weeks so we can discuss Moink. Which I think is still one of our best podcasts. Ever. Yes. Yes. Didn't that help us win the award that we won? That did, and I don't know what that says, but something good, I think. Or maybe we won the award in spite of it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Moink is always a selling point. Well, get out there, folks. Have some Moink, or have a Popsicle. Stay cool, and we'll see you. Drink plenty of water. Yep. Stay hydrated. We'll see you all soon. I always love trying to end these... going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. 
Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.